Welcome to Servants of the Secret Fire, Episode 14, Disadvantaged, brought to you by Creators Design Media, voice acted by Alyssa Sanford, written and produced by Daniel C. Sanford. For more information on Servants of the Secret Fire, please look us up on Facebook at Creators Design Media or Twitter at Creators DS Media. And you can find more episodes of Servants of the Secret Fire on iTunes and SoundCloud. September 9th, 2012, 4.40 p.m. Hickory Grove, Wisconsin. When Naomi Matthews lifted her head from off of the cool, coarse concrete, it was without any recollection of how or why she had gotten there. The first images that imprinted themselves on her retinas were not decipherable to her foggy mind. She would later describe these first moments of lucidity as like being trapped inside an indigo soap bubble floating high in the atmosphere during an electrical storm. When her vision cleared, she saw that to her immediate right lay Jed, unconscious, with a trickle of blood oozing from a gash on his forehead. Fear gripped her heart as she rose to her knees and reached for her unresponsive husband. She felt him stir beneath her trembling hands, and only then did she allow herself to turn away her gaze and take in the unfolding maelstrom about her. Standing within the center of the shimmering violet bubble that now enveloped the three of them was Sage, arms extended fully to his right and left, with what appeared to be purple lightning spewing from his extended palms, pooling two feet away and arching to create the bubble shield that she now realized had saved their lives. She took in the tranquil, almost detached look on Sage's face before her gaze was drawn beyond the safety of their translucent shield to the heat-shimmering parking lot below. Three indistinct figures formed a triangular perimeter around the shielded trio, each standing equidistant from each other, slowly closing the twenty-yard distance separating them from their cringing quarry. They advanced barefoot on the asphalt with hands extended and wicked violet-hued lightning springing from their fingertips and lancing into Sage's mysterious force field. Naomi looked straight into the eyes, first, of a woman, seeming to be a few years younger than herself, her blonde hair trailing behind her in the afternoon breeze as she slowly advanced toward the curbed-in grass oasis where Naomi, Sage, and Jed huddled. Shifting her gaze, Naomi noted that the young woman's two partners, both male, also advanced step by agonizing step toward them, hands extended and purple fire shooting forth. How is he withstanding all three of them? Naomi's mind involuntarily questioned. Returning her gaze back to Sage, she noticed for the first time that same violet-hued fire crackling around his feet that she had witnessed earlier when he reduced the pop can to liquid metal. Her eyes jerked back upward when, unexpectedly, Sage threw his left hand even further forward and shot forth a crackling arc of fire toward the man furthest to their left, even while simultaneously maintaining the life-saving shield surrounding them. Sage's fire met this assailant's fire head-on, but instead of a stalemate, Naomi was shocked to see Sage's fire methodically pushing the other's crackling stream backward the brilliant arc from Sage's hands appearing to burn with a noticeably brighter intensity than his foes, 
just as she also noticed the fire beneath Sage's feet shone with a brilliance that dwarfed the fire that leapt from the asphalt to the attacker's feet. The asphalt! Naomi suddenly realized the significance of Sage's choice of location to reveal his powerful secret to Jed and herself. The mysterious fire was coming from the ground, from under the earth. It occurred to her that Sage and their three assailants were only conduits, or relays, through which the violet fire passed through, and that this was why they were all barefoot. The fewer the impediments between earth and feet, the more powerful the conduit's connection to the fire. Shoes, asphalt, or anything else that the fire had to pass through weakened its intensity. On the green grass island, Sage held the metaphorical high ground. For now. All at once, the significance of the assailant's forward progress toward the lone patch of grass upon which they were held at bay now became all too clear to Naomi. She felt Jed stir beside her and looked to see him rise to his knees. She reached out to hold him and directed his gaze to the drama enfolding all around them. The shock of awe that Naomi had been experiencing gave way to fear at the precariousness of their predicament. The only thing keeping both she and Jed from being turned to ash was Sage's bubble, and the focus of his power was diffused among three different foes. Both Jed and Naomi huddled together, mesmerized as Sage's lightning continued to advance toward the men on their left. His forward progress was now halted under Sage's intense barrage, but as Naomi turned her head quickly from side to side, to her dismay, she noticed that the young woman and second male were still advancing, now only ten yards from the curb that divided earth from asphalt. Sage must also have been aware of the potential of what would happen if any of the three should reach the grass, for the brilliance of the fire beneath his feet intensified even further, as did the purple lightning spewing from his hand, until, driving back entirely the weak opposing fire of his enemy, it reached the man in seconds and engulfed him from head to toe in torrents of living flames. One stricken cry was all that came from the overcome man before he exploded in a flash of blinding light. Naomi was forced to close her eyes against the light, but when she blinked back sight one instant later, the man was gone, reduced to a pile of gray ash that could be seen blowing across the lot in the evening breeze. With that, Sage turned his attention to the second man to his left. For the second time, a brilliant purple arc shot in the direction of his foe, meeting the asphalt-weakened fire of the man and halting his forward progress. In half the time it took to overwhelm the fire of the first attacker, Sage drove his fire through that of the second until, in a blinding haze, the second man was overwhelmed and disappeared from sight. Naomi released the breath in her lungs that she seemed to have been holding for hours. We're going to be okay. Suddenly, the shield surrounding Jed, Sage, and her disappeared, and a searing rush of hot air assaulted her lungs, causing her to catch in mid-breath. Finding herself mysteriously lying back on the ground, she felt Jed's strong hands grabbing her and dragging her backward. As she quickly regained her feet and stumbled in the direction of the parking garage as Jed continued to pull at her, Naomi strained to turn her head back in the direction from which they had come. She stifled a cry, for she saw that the blonde young woman had indeed reached the grass and that Sage was down on one knee attempting to raise himself upright once again. 
The bubble shield was gone, apparently upon the arrival of the woman onto the grass, and two distinct arcs of brilliant lightning spewed from each of the two combatants' palms and fingertips meeting in the no-man's-land between them. Sage regained his feet, but despite the intensifying once again of the fire beneath him, no advantage could be gained. Jed and Naomi arrived at the parking garage and stationed themselves behind a concrete barrier, peering over the top to take in the horrifying spectacle unfolding before them. Naomi prayed fervently that Sage would be delivered as she watched the young woman take yet another step closer to him, fire lancing out of her in indigo thunderbolts, now a faint smile tracing her lips. Sage's face, once a mirror of placid calm, now was twisted in anguish, a slight trickle of blood running crimson from his nose. A siren could be heard wailing in the distance. In the confusion of the melee, Naomi hadn't even stopped to consider the fact that they were in a public parking lot, albeit at a slow time of the day. She looked past the two remaining combatants to see a handful of stunned onlookers gathered at the hospital doors, gawking with looks of disbelief. She was drawn back to the battle when, out of the corner of her eye, she saw Sage fall back into a squatting position. Oh, Sage, dear Lord, please. All of a sudden, Sage dropped his hands. No! Jed and Naomi screamed in unison. In that instant, the female's fire completely engulfed Sage. But instead of reducing him to ash... Naomi was shocked to see the old man lunge forward from his squatting position, hands extended, while a purple shield like the one he had used earlier to gently push Jed and Naomi this time swiftly hurled toward his attacker. It overran her incoming stream of fire and violently pushed her backwards, lifting her off of the ground, leaving her to drop painfully onto the asphalt ten yards away. With her connection to the earth severed, Sage pressed forward his advantage once again, lightning bolts flashing. The pitiful resistance the woman was able to mount lying on her back on the sun-baked asphalt was no match for the blazing torrents of fire hurled toward her from Sage's hands, and in a moment's time, her powdered remains too were blown across the parking lot, carried swiftly away on the afternoon breeze. September 9th, 2012, 9.10 p.m. Interrogation Room B, Wapsie County Sheriff's Department. We just watched three people die, Naomi. How do you think I'm holding up right now? Jed didn't intend for his retort to come off so sharply, but sitting in a stuffy, narrow police interrogation room, straight out of some B-grade 70s cop drama for four hours, two of them doing nothing but waiting, had pared back his already frayed nerves to their roots. Jed had fastidiously answered every question to the best of his memory, lest his conscience trouble him later when he mentally sifted the experience. It was an embarrassing, arduous experience, to say the least. The dubious investigators had reduced Jed to a mumbling, repeating fool by the end as far as he was concerned. What was he supposed to tell them? The truth was fantastic enough, let alone coming out of the mouth of someone with a documented history of mental illness. Naomi was his only saving grace, finishing his sentences and corroborating his very unlikely story. Now, waiting alone for the second time with his wife in the cramped and dimly lit crackerjack box of a room, the critic rehearsed with him over and over again his previous answers, and offered up an unceasing and unwanted rolling commentary. Were you completely honest, Jed? 
Did you hold anything back for fear of sounding foolish or to protect the old man? Perhaps you should call the officers back and fill in some more of the details. Naomi rubbed her husband's back without replying to his clipped tone in kind. She could always tell when his mental machinery was spinning rapidly and had learned from experience when it was best to distract him or just leave him to muse. Her own thoughts were on Amanda and Jed Jr. lying asleep on the couch of their close friends. The readers graciously picked up the kids from preschool slash daycare and continually occupied them, reassured them, and most importantly, fed them all evening in the wake of their parents' unexpected absence. After a minute's silence, Jed's inner conversation took on verbal form. This whole week, I thought I was obeying God. Some spiritual antenna I have, Naomi. The guy's some sort of a warlock or something. You saw what he did. Naomi took a calming breath. Jed, you're obsessing, she replied gently. You know that both of us were trying to help Sage, and I don't feel guilty. Honestly, I don't know what I saw in that parking lot, but don't for a minute start accusing yourself for aiding and abetting the enemy. We don't know who or what Sage is. The Matthews had related their experience just as they remembered it. The backstory before Sage entered the ICU, his cryptic replies when asked about who he was and what he was doing in Hickory Grove, his personal interest in Jed, and finally, their unfathomable ordeal in the Mercy Hospital parking lot. The sheriff deputies were most interested in what had unfolded there, of course. Similar stories, albeit from a farther vantage point, had been given by the few onlookers who had witnessed the confrontation from the hospital entry. Most of them, to the best of Jed and Naomi's knowledge, had been questioned and subsequently released after giving the deputies on scene their contact information. But there was no easy out for Jed and Naomi. Each witness had seen the couple somehow enmeshed in the purple-hued chaos that had resulted in the disappearance of three unknown and now mysteriously absent people. They disappeared in a flash of purple lightning? This is what the youngest of the two interrogators had kept repeating throughout their long and tedious conversation, his tone bordering on the edge of mockery. The only thing that saved them from being locked up instantly at the local mental ward, they assumed, was that the officers had apparently heard some of the same explanations given by other witnesses. In the end, after having them repeat their story again for what seemed to them to have been the tenth time, the two officers had stood and left the two to themselves. Of course we know what he is, Naomi, said Jed, quieter this time, but no less agitated. When's the last time you saw a Bible-toting fundamentalist spewing magic from his fingernails? He's some sort of sorcerer, and I didn't even see it. Jed. The one whom he loves has the gift, chuckled Jed, his voice laced with irony as he slowly shook his head. Apparently he wasn't talking about the gift of discernment. Jed went silent again and bowed. Naomi knew he was praying, repenting, and pleading for forgiveness in his invariable, though puzzling way, for whatever supposed part he had unwittingly played in this evening's bizarre events. Frustration began to build inside Naomi, despite her outwardly placid demeanor. Why is it always about him? Didn't I almost get burned to death tonight, too? Wasn't I the brunt of the same embarrassing questions? Haven't I also been at Sage's bedside? When do I get to be comforted? Naomi, stop it. Rabbit trail. With substantial mental discipline, Naomi pulled herself back from the pity party. It never does any good anyway. 
Ten minutes later, the older of the two officers opened the door, double-checked their contact information one last time, then escorted them to the entrance of the sheriff's office and gave them leave to go home. After a brief argument in the parking lot about whether they would immediately go check on Sage, Jed's idea, or immediately go pick up the kids, Naomi's idea, a compromise was reached as Jed drove Naomi to the readers, retrieved his sleeping children with thanks, dropped off his family members at home, then reversed course and headed back toward Hickory Grove's only hospital. He was practically unrecognizable. After convincing the sheriff's deputy who stood guard at the entrance to Sage's room in ICU that he was his pastor, Jed was gruffly admitted entrance. But in spite of seven years' experience doing hospital calls, he remained totally unprepared to see the now bloated and blistered figure lying before him. Removed from the scene of the crime, as Jed had now come to think of it, by the 25 yards that had separated the grass oasis from the parking garage, Jed had no vantage point to witness what the last barrage of the young woman's fire had done to Sage's unprotected body, in spite of victory that had ensued. A third-degree burn victim that had been pulled from an apartment fire couldn't have looked worse. Sage's face and hands were doubled their original size. Blackened and oozing blisters now pocked his haggard face, and what had once been facial hair now hung limp like the blackened ends of twigs stamped out from a morning campfire. Jed felt a wave of nausea wash over him, but took a deep breath to overcome it. He was surprised to see Sage's puffy eyelids opened and yellowed, glassed over orbs staring up into his face with apparent recognition. In spite of his new misgivings about the old man, Jed was immediately overcome with confused emotion. Sage, he whispered. Sage's blackened lips began to move silently. Jed bent over the bedside to catch any hint of what the man was trying to say. Ragged breathing met his ear for long moments before Jed thought he discerned three vague and whispered words. I cannot help. Sage's eyes fluttered shut as Jed pulled away from the bed, the stench of the old man's burned flesh finally registering to his nostrils. He looked up to the heart monitor as it coldly beat out its regular cadence on the blued monochrome screen and knew that Sage was still with him. What would Jesus do? He would love his enemies, thought Jed. Was Sage an enemy? If so, then why had Jed come back tonight? The critic's insistence to be sure. But wasn't the critic even now playing devil's advocate and condemning him for giving away any more support to a man who must obviously be in league with Satan? Jed hated the stalemate within. Half of his confused conscience knew that he owed no more allegiance to this strange, confusing man, while the other half felt constrained by what would Jesus do? Yet, even in the light of all he had witnessed and the unrelenting rationalizations of the critic inside his skull, that same unexplainable and subterranean sense of purpose remained. It is you. As Judd mused back upon he and Sage's initial disjointed interview, the critic was again right at his shoulder. What is he recruiting you for, Jed? Some bizarre cult? Why are you still here? He didn't have an answer. Wearily, with head bowed, Jed did the one thing he knew he was still allowed to do for Sage. Be he friend or foe, he prayed. Lord, what is the truth? I need to know why you allowed this man into my life. Who is he? 
what is he? What did I just witness him do today? I don't want to miss you by identifying with Sage. I don't want to miss you by not identifying with Sage. Please, Jesus, I just don't want to miss you. Episode 14, Disadvantaged, brought to you by Creators Design Media. Voice acted by Alyssa Lynn Sanford, the special guest, Daniel Sanford. Written and produced by Daniel C. Sanford. For more information on Servants of the Secret Fire, you can look us up on Facebook at Creators Design Media and Twitter at Creators DS Media. Music for this episode was provided by freemusicarchive.com, bensound.com, looperman.org, and freesound.org. For more episodes of Servants of the Secret Fire, please search us on iTunes under Servants of the Secret Fire and SoundCloud. On iTunes, please leave us an honest five-star review. We want to get the word out about this journey we're taking. 